Shut up and sit down. Ooh, welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for teachers, leaders, anyone vested in the world of education. I am Erin Barnes, host of the show, and today I have Danae Link. And so Danae comes to Epic in year one. Uh, Danae, did we meet in year one? I can't, we were still separate sides of the state for PLCs and stuff. When did we actually meet? I don't know. I think it might have been year two or three before we actually met each other in person. Um, but you've been around for a million years, uh, and that's not an old joke. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, um, we age here at Epic with every year, and so it's like dog years. If you've been around for all 10 years, you're like 70 years old at this point. Yes, yes. I think my gray hairs prove that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us who you are. Give us a little background about what you were doing before you came to Epic and maybe why you decided to make the jump to Epic. Absolutely. So I taught kindergarten in the classroom before I came to Epic, and I was just looking for something different in my life. We had had kind of a really extended difficult season personally, and going to a classroom every day and being that level of on that you have to be for a kindergarten teacher was really starting to become harder and harder. And I found out about this great opportunity and thought, oh, I could help kids one-on-one and kind of have a little more flexibility in my schedule. It was really alluring. And so I jumped ship and came to Epic and I've been grateful every day since then. I love hearing the OG original stories because, you know, our our mutual friend Ann Gottschalk was like, oh, I came on after Danae told me it was safe. (laughs) I came on after so-and-so told me it's it's a good move. Um, So for those of us who like went to the mall and signed up <laughs> to yes. do this. Like, what on earth were we thinking? But I'm so glad we were. Such a leap. Such a leap at that point. And I'm not really a risk taker kind of girl. So every day I just know it was really what was supposed to happen that we got here because that's not my norm to just jump into something unknown. I am a risk taker. Um, and I don't know if I've ever told my kind of origin story, but like I had just finished my full internship. Okay. So I had never been on my own really. I just finished my full internship and then they hired me for the same exact classroom, um, to finish the school year. The teacher I was interning with her son had gotten a brain tumor. She had to have a hysterectomy, like all these things. And so she left in like, uh, December when I graduated and I started back in January and I went from January to May and decided, I made a huge mistake getting this bachelor's degree in education, and I don't want to teach. This is insane. Um, And then a friend of mine said, hey, I heard, and I was looking at maybe starting a private school at the time, and um, I I met up with the guys, and and the rest is history. I, I mean, I basically, I saw it in his eye that this was a thing that they were super passionate about. And, uh, that was David Cheney and he and I just sat and had a really long conversation. Here I am. So, but I was ready to leave education after six months in the field. <laughs> it does it. It does it to us. I think the common thread might be kids in a, in a classroom in that situation. It just kind of, you can't do it anymore. Man, I, well, and I was in a classroom. I, I literally sent a kiddo out of the classroom for 
throwing a chair across the room, trying to stab me with a pencil as he was going after the kid he was going after. And he went to the principal's office like, okay, come on, man, you're out. You know, I mean, I'm pretty tolerant, uh, but you got to go. And the kid came back 15 minutes later with a chocolate bar in his hand that he bought off the principal's desk. And I just thought, okay, this is not, uh, this is insane. This is not going to work. No. Anyway. Okay. That is not even the conversation we're about to have. Uh, I, oh gosh. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation about attention and intention. And the topic of this conversation comes from the YouTube video that you sent me. And we're going to get to that YouTube video, but, um, this summer you and I, and uh, Whitney Farmer were hiding out at a PLC. It was like lunchtime, and um, you had been on all day. Like you had been on for days at this point because you know you're you're training all these new teachers, and so we're kind of hiding behind a desk, eating our our um, lunch and and throwing balloons around. And uh, we just kind of get into a conversation. I was sharing, you know, where we were at with my daughter and kind of the struggles that we were having with school. And you opened up an eyeball. Um, talk to me about that conversation from your side of the story. So it's always such a gift when people will just be transparent about their struggles. And I, um, I have a always struggled with that and it's something that I work on the pride in me kind of doesn't want to be transparent Mm. if there's not you know everything great so it's something that's really been developing in me for several years to be open and honest about those hard times and our family in June I had just come back from a nine-week leave of absence that I took at the end of last year I was really grateful to get to take some time um our youngest daughter had just been having a lot of struggles in school and I took off that time to be home and be her full-time teacher and cheerleader to kind of get her through the end of second grade. And so I was coming back from that. And right when we had that conversation, I was getting back in the swing of Epic and getting back into those things. So then when we started talking about it, I had things to share because I, I'm living the exact same watching a child, watching two children struggle in very, very different ways, but with the same sorts of things going on in their brain in our house. Yeah. Um, And so then you said, Erin, you've got to watch this video. And I pull it up and Danae, it was three hours long. (laughs) I didn't even know you could upload a three hour video to YouTube. It is three hours long. It was actually given to us. Our oldest daughter was diagnosed with ADHD the previous summer. And our therapist, who she has seen since she was four, gave us the video upon that diagnosis. Just here's some great tips for parents. Watch this video. Well, as you know, all of us do. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Never came back to it. And then when our youngest daughter started really struggling, it was like, hey, didn't we have something? Maybe we should look at this. And we both pulled it up to listen to you. And it was just, it was hearing him describe our children's typical that we knew wasn't typical of other kids. Right. Uh, and it, it, I'm linking it in the show notes so anybody can go and watch it. And in it... I thought it was pretty powerful. I mean, I think it was like the third minute in, 
he says, this is not a, uh, an attention problem. It was mislabeled. It was the wrong word was used. This is not an attention problem. This is an intention problem. And so I thought, wow, I kind of don't really know the difference between those. So I, I Googled them and, um, I just, attention is, uh, notice taken of someone or something, the regarding of someone or something, or, uh, uh, as interesting or important. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, that I definitely understand attention. And then intention, um, which just so you know, they're, they're, the word intend, intended, are both a part of that. And so you got to like break it way the heck down. But it was the determination to act in a certain way. And so I thought, okay, it's not an attention problem. They can focus on you and hear exactly what you have to say it's a determination to put that into an action. And so then I go back and I rewind and I listen to that statement again. And I thought, whoa, this is not an attention problem. It's an intention problem. Uh, what, were, what, was, what were some of the, the big points, the, the things you took from that video? The biggest thing that stuck out to me is that They are time blind. ADHD brains are time blind. They can't understand time when we're in a traditional school environment saying, you know, we're going to change or we're going to transition in this much time. They have no idea what that means. Or dealing with a little bit older kid that they have three weeks to work on this project. Uh, Three weeks is, is such an unknown to them and the way that their brains process. So that was something that really stood out. And then the other part that he talks through is that ADHD children are 30% behind developmentally in age. So if they're 10, they're functioning as a seven-year-old. And our oldest daughter has always just, we thought she was just immature. She's bright. She's in school, does extremely well. But the maturity factor in her, we thought she's kind of like her mom. She's a little naive. But to really hear that it's not just that she's immature, that she doesn't have these social skills. It's that she's actually developmentally a little bit behind. Yeah. And that was such clarity for us to realize that's that's what's going on here is it's just how her brain is wired. It's not that she's immature. It's not that she's socially awkward. It's that she's operating with a deficit there. So you said the thing about the time and it just, it made me remember, like I rem- my kids were much younger. I had no clue anything was going on. Um, and I would say, all right, girls, we're leaving in 10 minutes. And then I myself would get into something and I realized 20 minutes has gone by and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am totally ruining them to what time is because they're going to think 10 minutes is like 20 minutes. And Danae, I mean, I shared with you, um, I went to the audiologist because I was, I was thinking I was having problems with my hearing. I would be in a restaurant and I could not hear the person across from me. And I found if I look at their lips, it's a little bit better, but gosh, now we're masked up and stuff. Um, and so it was a struggle. So I thought I, I got to get my hearing checked. I'm 42. Maybe it's time. And she, you know, I raised my hand, heard that bell, heard this whistle, you know, all those things. And she says, uh, Aaron, you don't have a problem hearing. 
um, have you ever been tested for ADD? And I thought, what? You can tell if I'm ADD or ADHD by a hearing test? And she says, yeah, you are, you are having trouble focusing on that conversation, not hearing the conversation. And then as I'm watching this video, I'm thinking, okay, he's saying some things that are really, really hitting home. So the time thing, like, you know, that you mentioned, and, and I said I was ruining my kids. I'm reflecting back now and I'm like, okay, I am time blind. You know, there, there are things um, that I'm just really figuring out about myself as we're going through the testing process with my kids. Um, and I used to, I used to think that it was such a horrible label. As a matter of fact, I'm going out of order on my show notes here, but um, I wrote down when my youngest was four years old and in pre-K, she went to the brick and mortar school up the street and the sweetest, kindest woman, her little pre-K teacher, Miss Monica, said, Aaron, have you ever thought about putting Tatum on meds for ADD? And I thought you, I mean, the words that came to mind, I wanted to call this woman, like she is four years old. No, I have not thought about putting her on medication. And now I kind of really wish I knew where Miss Monica was so I could go back and say, I'm so sorry. Because it wasn't until now that I'm really realizing how wrong I was. Yes. Um, There's so much, ne- much negative connotation that comes from medication. And I think that's something he really talks through in this video is how it does help their brains. And of course, it's a personal decision. And it's always a huge jump and risk to consider anything, especially when you consider stimulant for your kid. But for some of these kids, it's their saving grace. And both of ours, right now, we have a medicated child and we have an unmedicated child. And it's because we can't find the way that their brains react to a stimulant are very different. It works perfectly for one. And it turns the other one into a mean and angry child. And she's not of the age yet that swallowing a pill is an option. Yeah. Because that's not a choice she's willing to make at this point. And so she's not medicated right now. And it's going okay. Um, But I think it's a huge personal decision on what you do there. But really, for me, it was stepping back and listening to the expert on this topic. And not my perception or my what the media has told me about ADHD kids or what, you know, the lady at church thinks about kids who are on medication. It was really looking at, I'm going to listen to this person who knows this disorder, and I'm going to make the decision for my own child based on what I'm learning and what I'm taking in. So I know that's such a touchy thing for so many people. Um, it's touchy but- for me right now. because I mean, we don't have the diagnosis yet. We're still working through the RTI process, and we I think we'll be tested within the first 45 days. But it, I've been firmly against meds. I really have. I thought, okay, we're going to cut sugar out of our diet. We're going to cut, you know, some of these things. And then I'm listening to this guy in the video and he's like, diet affects 2% of kids. 2% of kids. And the other thing that stood out, he was like, think about um, somebody who's paralyzed. They're in a wheelchair. You build them a ramp to get up to their house, you build them all these things. And then 
that kid, I mean, that, that, that person that's paralyzed is your ADHD kid. You, for your ADHD kid, you're going to have rewards and have consequences and set timers. And you're going to do all of these things that kind of help that executive functioning. But then we think, okay, they're not 11 anymore. They're 14. I'm going to stop doing this. But you would never take the wheelchair ramp away from that paralyzed person. Uh, and he, he, he equated it to having diabetes. And he says with diabetes, you've got insulin, you've got shoes, you've got monitors, you take, um, you know, you take care of your body and you don't ever stop doing that. And so with ADD, ADHD, and, and honestly, uh, the guy in the video, um, he, he did not delineate between ADHD and ADD. They're the same darn thing. There are, it's a spectrum Thing. There are people with slight ADHD and people with very severe ADHD. And, and his classifications and the way he broke it down was amazing. What are some of the unintended consequences or unintended rewards that have come through this diagnosis with your family? Um, some of the unintended consequences for both of them is just stopping to really understand their experience. And, you know, we all hear, don't compare them to other kids, don't compare them to other kids, but you do. It's just a natural part of being a parent and being a human being that that's what we're going to set the norm and what we believe it is. So it's been able to really look at their needs. And for both of them, I think the beauty of being with Epic is it helps us realize as parents that there is a choice. And for me, I was here for 10 years before I realized that that also applied to me. Oh, say that again. <laughs> yes, being here for 10 years. It took me 10 years of being here and providing that for other families to realize that I had a choice for my family too. Um, and that parent choice is crucial. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look the same across the board. And so we did last the last nine weeks of second grade, we pulled our youngest from school. I took a leave of absence from work, and we did home. We did school at home through our district's virtual program. Um, and I feel like I have the disclaimer that the only reason we didn't come to Epic was to stay a part of that community. Sure. I knew Epic would have served us better. <laughs> well, and but disrupting there was the, the part, yeah, and the community part there. That that's why we made that decision. Um, and that was a hard decision because of course I wanted her to come where I knew she would be served so well, but we did do that. And then it really caused us to also look at what our oldest is going to middle school. We all know what that means in a brick and mortar mm. and with her being 30% developmentally behind on the maturity spectrum and socially, we knew in our hearts that sending her to our brick and mortar, which is a wonderful brick and mortar with wonderful administrators and teachers, wasn't going to work for her. So we started, just had this uneasiness in our spirits about that. And as things happened, we got a little flyer in the mail about this school that's a private school here in our town and that um, I've always known about. And it's just an amazing place, but we've never really considered it. So we went for a tour. And upon being on the campus for about five minutes, it became very clear that this was the answer for middle school for our oldest. And as we sat there, listened to 
the fact that they're on 160 acres and the fact they're going to be outside and they're going to garden and they're going to play with chickens and all the things we don't, we aren't farm people, but just those opportunities, it became increasingly clear that we needed to consider this for our youngest as well. And so we did. And both of them started at the private school this year and are both, it's of course an adjustment and the little one misses her friends. Um, but it has been leaps and bounds, the right decision for them. And I'm so grateful that this diagnosis led us to make those choices that we may not have made if we weren't fully aware of what was really going on or if we weren't willing to look at that there are some things going on with them that are not just our fault as parents or something we need to discipline a little bit better or, um, you know, their diet or any of those things, but really looking at this is a brain condition and this is something that they were just born with and these are adjustments that we can make for them to help them be better prepared adults. I thought it was really interesting how he talked about if they have ADHD, they're 60% likely to have something else. And honestly, ADHD wasn't even on my radar. And I mean, Tatum is dyslexic, but the dyslexia is probably an after effect of the ADHD. Um, and so as we're trying to figure out what's up with Joe, um, we're realizing, okay, you definitely have this too. And and I thought it was so funny because he was like, um, <laughs> he said something about, you know, these kids, it's, it's not about an attention at all because they can spend hours on video games. And that is the stigma. Like you're like, oh, no, they don't have ADHD because they can spend hours on that video game. But that video game is giving them reward after reward after consequence over and over and over. Every every 30 seconds, there's a reward or a consequence. Whereas when you finish the math problem or you turn in your paper, it's like, yay. No, there's no, there's not even a yay. Unless you're like in my house now that we know that we need to do this. Yay, we celebrate every assignment. I think it's so interesting, too, because we both have girls, and the way it presents in girls looks so different than yeah. boys, and I think that some of our brick-and-mortar teachers maybe thought I was a little crazy, that I would even think that this was going on with our oldest, because the way she was at school, she's the perfect student. To She was never going to make a ruckus or draw attention to herself. She was always going to do the right thing. And so they couldn't see what was going on inside of her to pull that off on the outside. Yeah. And we really realized in fourth grade for her, they had been in three classrooms in third grade. They went to two in fourth grade. So the amount of kids in her class was significantly larger. And she finally said, Mom, I can't hear Mrs. Hoover because I'm only hearing the kids around me talking. Yes. That's me in the restaurant. Yes. Yes. Like, that's what she's talking about. And that's what really led us to, we knew it could possibly be there, but it was what really led us to look for a diagnosis and to have her tested to see if this was really going on with her. It was just so clear. But her teacher never saw it. Never saw it. You know, and it's crazy, and I, I don't even remember the number. I didn't write it down, but the number of people that do have this and are undiagnosed, unmedicated, is a ridiculously large number. So if you're listening to this and any of this is ringing, you know, oh, gosh, that's hitting close to home. I mean, 
I didn't know until 42. No, four, yeah, no, right before I turned 42. So I didn't know till 42, and it's still undiagnosed. I don't know that I'll really need a diagnosis now that I've got all of these things. Um, and I've obviously learned how to cope and, and um, overcome uh, through experience. But like uh, for my oldest daughter, she's 14. Um, I, I would say her ADD, her intention is, is definitely there. The follow through sucks. The acting upon is the worst. And, um, but she's, I mean, she's had her own podcast. She is bright. She thinks completely different than the rest of the world. And, and so again, it's not about, um, it's not about skill at all. It's 100% about performance, the acting on. Um, but as, as we're looking at my youngest now, I'm like, gosh, she was the most athletic kiddo. Uh, she can do me- you know, mental math like crazy in her head. But okay, you don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth unless I say it three times. There's an executive functioning there when it comes to... Um, taking the words and, and making them into something meaningful. Um, you know, we thought when she was having a problem comprehending in her books and in her curriculum, we thought, well, easy, we'll just do voice to text or we'll read out loud, you know, instead of you having to read that, we'll read that. And then we would pause at the end of the chapter and say, okay, you know, what was that about? Uh, and she was able to probably repeat the last three sentences And that was it. I mean, she is not comprehending as we say it. So we're still digging in and trying to figure it out. But we know that the overarching uh, diagnosis will end up being uh, ADD. They said, uh, and they, Shelly Bird, our RTI specialist, who was on just two weeks ago, um, was talking about she could see tendencies for OCD in Jolene's handwriting. Is that crazy? Like, and again, you got to listen to the, the people who are experts, the people, yeah. if they're saying, Hey, you might, you know, really uh, benefit from X. You, they, they've seen this a little more than you have. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, and again, touchy subjects, I, I get it. But, um, he talks about that on the YouTube video, just especially ADHD for whatever reason, the way the media and the way that you know, entertainment has portrayed that, they would never do that with like the example of a paralyzed child or diabetes, but it has been so poorly put out to the public of what it is. And all of us, I mean, all of us have that negative bias when it comes to ADHD and, oh, that's nonsense or, you know, and so when you live it and you see it in your child and you realize, oh, this isn't, this is a way bigger deal than I think it is. And ADHD is not what I think it is. It's, it's a really huge shift in thinking. So, uh, another thing that hit, uh, really huge for me, he was talking about the problem is diminished capacity and executive functioning, um, from slight on the spectrum to severe on the spectrum that, um, making excuses for the diminished uh, executive functioning is the accountability layer. Um, he was saying, I've seen way too many parents go the opposite direction and say, well, my kid has this. We're not going to that. Talk to me about accountability in your home. How do you, you know, keep your kiddos accountable? And I mean, you and I had a conversation. Your husband 
has ADHD. And so it's probably different for the two of you, like him holding accountable and, you know, and so how do the two of you decide to hold your kiddos accountable for things? I think that with our, it depends on the kid, their need for accountability looks different just based on their, their executive functioning as well as their personalities and what's built into them. For our oldest, accountability is pretty easy. She doesn't want to disappoint. Um, she's very much the firstborn child. And so it's an accountability that's easier. Things that are hard for her are just remembering. Remembering is super hard. And I remember saying to our doctor, she walks in the bathroom every morning like it's the first time she's ever walked in the bathroom. Yes! And she'll stand there and, like, look around like it's a brand new place. And she doesn't know to pick up the hairbrush and start brushing her hair. She doesn't know to get out her toothbrush and do those things where a little one rolls in and is completely ready in five minutes and ready to go. And that was always a terrible frustration for me. And so we have accountability in that she knows at a certain time. And I've learned a lot about using Alexa and using Google as our helpers in that they tell them to go do something. Um, And then she has a list on our bathroom mirror. She's in sixth grade, and there's a list in our bathroom mirror that tells her exactly what to do. And we still have to go in and just make sure that she started the list because once she gets going, she can, but it's the starting part. Remembering where to start is really difficult. Um, I think sometimes we think of accountability as punishment or holding them to meaning a consequence. And I, I think that it's also just giving them some reminders and doing those things. Right now, the biggest struggle in the link house is after school, taking their lunch boxes out of their lunchbox and at least getting them to the counter so that I can wash them and get them ready for the next day. And as the only neurotypical brain in our house, <laughs> I feel the weight of all of those things sometimes. And guys, how does nobody else remember we need to do this? And so setting up systems for them, making sure there's a clear place for them to put their backpack and not just drop it on the floor. If they drop it on the floor, they're never going to remember. They'll never be accountable to get off the lunchbox. But if they hang it on the hook and the zipper is right in front of them, oh, I need to take out my lunchbox, which is a visual cue that to it, my brain isn't necessary. I just know to get it out. But for their brains, it's necessary to lead them to do those things. So uh, in in the YouTube video, and I'm, I, again, it's in the show notes, so please go watch it if you have any hinkling as to what we're talking about. Um, but he was talking about how as adult women um, – <laughs> We should probably buy stock in Post-it notes, and and I'm I mean I don't know if you can see behind me. I've got Post-it notes everywhere. I've got five on my computer here in front of me, and and then I'll as I as I get one done, I just I take this Post-it note, trash it, you know. But I have to leave myself Post-it notes on everything. Cat litter and rabbit treats. I got to go get those today. And I've learned that I will forget cat litter and rabbit treats until my cat is pooping in plants. Sorry, gross. I apologize. But if I don't write it down and take it with me, it will not happen. Mm -hmm. That is how I've started holding myself accountable. For my daughters, I have started leaving them post-it notes. They've got uh, written on their bathroom mirror in dry erase, like brush your teeth, wash your 
put on deodorant. My gosh, middle school and high school, and they still, I mean, my, my ninth grader will walk out the door and not have deodorant. And I'm like, girl, you're going to want to date, you know? And <laughs> we need this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely been, um, an eye opener. It's as it not a neurotypical <laughs> person. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my husband is probably feeling your, your, uh, pain, but, um, I feel a tremendous pressure now to figure out how to get them as close to neurotypical as possible. And, um, as we firm up diagnoses and, um, start looking at what happens next, um, finding ways for me to help when I'm just realizing I've got my own issues is it's going to be a struggle. Yes. I think also he says it in the video, kids who consistently do take medication, their brains are physically rewired through those chemicals to become more like neurotypical brains as opposed to kids who white knuckle it um, or who just don't take medication, that their brains will always stay the way that they are. And just what we know about the brain and how it changes and how we can change our brain, um, that was so meaningful to me to know I'm not just trying to change behavior and giving her medication. It's not about her behavior. It's about how she's able to exist in the world and how she's feeling she's trying to do these things and why would I continue to let her struggle yeah never let her struggle if I knew it was happening on the outside um why would I let her struggle on the inside when I know it's happening yeah um it's huge huge well I mean our friend Ann Gottschalk was like Aaron if, if your kid fell and broke her leg today would you take her to the doctor and I said yeah I would then why wouldn't you do this and I just thought, whoa. Uh, and I think I've, I've shared that just relating to something else in the past. But I just, it's, it's, it's something that's definitely started. I'm starting to come around to it. Yes. And my husband, he has, since the diagnosis of our oldest and since realizing all of these things, he has been diagnosed himself. And he was super anti-medication for the whole family in this realm. Well, gosh, he's so granola. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super anti-medicine. Um, and listening to Dr. Barkley is really what flipped the switch of being willing to discuss it. And then, of course, working with her therapist. Because I do think that's another piece that's important is we can't just rely on the medicine. There's another piece to it. So, yeah. If you're listening and you're thinking, oh, well, I can put on my medicine and it's magically to fix it. It's right. not. They need to learn the tools. And she continues to see a therapist. Both girls see the same. And we're very blessed that this person has been in our life a long time and knows them so well. Um, but he really, it took a, a little bit. And then when we made that decision together, that that was right. And um he has made the decision to be medicated and it's made a world of difference for him. Um, in just the way that he is able to manage frustrations specifically. Um, and that's a big thing for ADHD people is the frustration level that they feel is so much bigger than the rest of us. And they get there so much faster than the rest of us do. And, um, in his situation, and I, I think he'd be fine with me sharing this. It would come out as like 
ah, yelling or like throwing something super frustrating where the way I would handle that would be like, you know, it's right. just a difference in how our brains feel that level. And so it's really helped with that as well as his attention and being able to follow through and know what he's doing throughout the day and follow a schedule has been significantly impacted by taking that step. Um, and it's not an easy step as an adult to take that. So it, it's been a really interesting journey through that. Okay. I feel like that last little piece was 100% for me. <laughs> I, I know I'm serious. I will go irate on nothing sometimes. And I, I stand back and I'm like, they didn't bring their laundry down. Why did you scream? You know, why did you scream? And, um, a, of course they didn't bring their laundry down because there's no post-it note, you know. Of course you had to retell them again. And so why did you scream, Aaron? Yeah. And then you feel that guilt. There's so much oh, to huge it. Guilt. And the shame that comes with how we parent. And I've been in this real about forever because I yelled at them this one time. And thank God that's not true. Um, and that we can make mistakes. Hmm. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on, Danae. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. This has been a, a needed topic. Um, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.